Amen. Nothing but the blood of Jesus, huh? As Pastor Tony said this morning, the reason songs like that carry away it is he used the term truth, didn't he? But they're written with biblical doctrine in mind. They're about the truth of what he has accomplished rather than many of the songs that we sing today. I love you, you love me, in it great, let's all have a party. This is the doctrine of what Christ did for us. It makes, makes us Christ-centric when we do that. We just lift him up for all he is. Amen? Amen? So you ready to go? My heart is to encourage you this morning. All right. I want to encourage you. I want to stir you in many different ways. I intend to be prophetic. I intend to be practical. I intend to be all-encompassing to you this morning. So if I miss it, at least I'm setting my, my sights quite high. But there are three words I want you to grab today. Ownership responsibility, and accountability. Ownership, responsibility, and accountability. Matthew 25, verse 21 says this, and I'm sure we could all quote it this morning, and his master replied, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. Well done, good and faithful servant. Now I'm going to change word, a word out here for a moment, depending which translation you look at and the breakdown. Servant can be changed for slave. Servant can be changed for uh, steward. It can be changed. It's interchangeable in different uh, contexts this morning. But what the Father is looking to do, what he's looking to establish in you and I as individuals and corporately as a house, is that we become good stewards of what belongs to another. I become a good steward of what belongs to another. Let's get one thing settled once and for all. In Psalm 24 and verse 1, it declares this. The earth is the Lord's and... How much? So what doesn't belong to him? Nothing. So we've settled that right from the beginning. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Right, so that's good. So if we take our reference point that says from the garden in Genesis till present day, everything that he, he owns has been given under stewardship to you and I. That's amazing, that, isn't it? Everything that we can see you are given stewardship for. Wow. It starts changing things slightly, doesn't it? You know, there is something that's called the principle of first thought. First thought works like this. As soon as we start to say, well done, good and faithful servant, we have a context in our mind. And our mind would run to one of two things. I bet already your mind runs to one of two things. One, financial intelligence... Gifting or talents? Would you have not have said that? So if we say, well done, good faithful servant, you have been faithful with your talent. You have been faithful with what you have, your possessions. But just telling you this morning, it's much, much bigger than that. Yeah. 
Do you know, I heard and read this week an absolutely nuts BBC statistic of the research which has just been done in the UK. One week old, so this is fresh. 17 million, how many? 17 million adults in the UK have less than £100 saved. One third of our entire population has less, owns less than £100. I just hope that them people with less than £100 aren't sat here. I've had my moments where I've had less than £100. I've had an awful lot of minuses. But yet, that whole thing of when it comes to stewardship and even looking at those things, we are sat on a ticking time bomb. The time bomb that as we start to progress and we can say whether we've prepared for our futures, we've prepared for our families, whatever it is, this whole thing as pastors has been encouraging us to not only to, to pray and to hold in the spirit, this whole thing of a clean Brexit, we saw this week, I heard something this week I have never heard before. I liked it, and I thought, I like it a lot. They turned around. You know we had the blip in the pound? It dropped right down, didn't it? It said it had been the lowest it had been for 30 years. Just excuse me for being an anorak for a minute. But it had been the lowest for 30 years. And they said it can be because of two things. And I thought, what's that? What can it be? And they said the French president made a statement about Britain and Brexit. That could be number one. But we think, personally, it's number two. And I like number two. Do you know what number two was? Fat finger syndrome. Somebody pressed too many keys on the keyboard and it sent everybody a bit haywire because somebody, idiot in block one, was going, yeah, I'm having chips for me tea and starts typing in the wrong thing and it set off a chain of events that went round. But aren't you glad that the future of the pound is held in the hands of people with sausage fingers. <laughs> Old Richmond Sausages, he's hitting his keyboard, and it can throw everything into turmoil. But yet we can laugh about that, but there is a ticking time bomb in our nation where finance is concerned. Yes? And that must not be found also in the house. We must be a people who make provision. A wise man makes provision for his children and his children's children. I might look at my condition and situation today and say, that's not where I am. Fine. Plan your way out. Give yourself a year. Give yourself two years. Get out of debt. Start to make some changes. We'll look at that in a minute. But whatever, you don't have to stay the way you are. We do not have to stay the way we are. We have enough skill in this house between ourselves that as iron sharpens irons, every situation can be turned around. You might be in debt. You might be up to here. You're waiting for that. They've called the bailiffs. They might be waiting for that. What's that? Uh, can't pay. We'll take it away. All this stuff, there is a way that we can turn it around. If you've gone so far and the pendulum has swung... We can't save you from some things. You have to live with the consequences. But hopefully, if we apply principles that God talks about, we won't get to that state. Do you know how I get to that state? Sometimes circumstances, but mostly because I want more stuff. 
I want more stuff. And Bright House says I can have a 50-inch telly today, and it's not a problem. Just take it away. Just put that. It's only £3 a week. It's that principle that we have to change and we have to bring into line. Is that right? We're looking, we said there about finance, but as Pastor Tony's already touched over the last months, we are looking to change the content. We are looking to change the context altogether. We're looking to build stronger families, families that stand in righteousness, empowered families that can change our nations. Also, the three or four families who want to change. We're looking at families that can be raised strong, in righteousness, meaning they can stand right with God, empowered in lots of different areas so they will have an impact on our nation. A great shame falls in the area of the church when it comes to this. As God moves on houses and and on men, if men start to raise in position and start to change where they can have impacts, starting locally and moving from that place, if God raised spiritual warriors, so to speak, if he has no arrows to fire when he goes. What a shame for the man who goes to the city gate but has no sons to stand with him. It is not this walk and this house and this destiny that we carry as a body and as a local house is not all about how we just underpin Pastor Tony. It's about all of our lives raising as he raises, as you raise, we go together. What has been preached for the last seven years? When the water changes in the harbor, all boats float. So it's not we'll be in dry dock and allow Pastor Tony to do whatever he wants. We're all going together. So when he goes, we go. What's he been talking about? The power of one. Yes? How good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell together in unity, for there the Lord commands a blessing, he cannot help but turn up when you and I start to unite. So there's three areas I want to look at today. Practical, physical, and spiritual. As we start to look at some of these things, I want to just make one thing clear. I am not being pointed to any people group. I am not being pointed to any individual If you're offended or think I'm talking to you, I am. But in talking to you, I'm also talking to me. Is that okay? Now, we've used the term, well done, good and faithful servant, but we changed that this morning to steward. Let me give you one simple definition. Do you know the difference between a steward and an owner? If you are a steward, you are no longer the owner. This is not going to be rocket science this morning. We're going to keep this nice and simple. If I am a steward, I am not the owner. And this is one thing that I have to settle in my mind and in my heart once and for all. For the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. He gives me the ability to work alongside him to steward what he owns. Okay? Is that all right? Is that principle set? We have to set that, as we said, once and for all in our hearts and minds. If I do not settle that, then I will try and negotiate with God every step of the way. Let's try and get a couple of things just in context, just for a moment. 
If I believe, put this in the right way so it's not too pointed, what I have belongs to him. What I own belongs to him. Yes? If I don't settle this, I will try and negotiate every time he wants something, every time he asks for something, every time he places a demand on me, then the negotiation starts. Yes? That makes sense? Has anybody got to the negotiation stage where you feel a move in your heart where you think, I'm going to give this, and then your brain says, hang on a moment. Anybody ever been there? Yes? That fight that works inside of us. The flip side of this is something that maybe we don't take into account, is that when I'm the steward and not the owner, when God asked me to do something like Veronica stand and bring this word to the house, I then can't go, I'm the owner of this. If I'm a steward to my father, I will respond to what my father is saying. Do we get the context? Yes? Right, so now that's set, we can be really simple. Let's look and begin with the practical first. Is that all right? We talked about some months ago the three Fs, the three Fs, that we'll see a church and a nation begin to turn around. Family, finance, and faith. If we have strong families, if we have financial intelligence, so we're not making stupid choices and decisions, and I have the faith where Christ is established, we're raising people in righteousness, if that is impacted and starts to domino effect out, will the nation start to change? Will the nation start to change? So the three Fs start to fall into place. So again, remembering that context is that I honor him with what I have. I honor him with what I am. God owns the 100% of what you have. When God turns around and says to you, it's 10%, aren't you glad? He said, I'll let you keep 90% of what already belongs to me. But we want to fight, we want to fall over, we want to struggle in different areas. You know, one of the biggest things that I have found, I'll speak personally just for a moment on this, is that if I become a prisoner to finance, I will never be free. If money dictates to me, if I'm fear of loss, fear of lack, fear of not having enough, I will chase every white rabbit. I'll look for every quick fix scheme. I'll do everything that I can do to see my situation turned around. And normally what I found, it makes things worse. You know, we've been doing some jobs at home. Some of you know we've been doing some jobs at home. And what I found is this, is that I'll maybe try and put more time in to do the jobs to get the jobs finished. But if I'm tired... Do you realize how many mistakes I make? How many mistakes I make when I'm tired? So I'll go, I'll take on another job. I'll do this, I'll do that, because I'll put more finance in. But the chances are you're now doing a rubbish job in your first one, that you're making more mistakes, and then you get that DCM. You know what a DCM is, don't you? Don't come Monday. In desiring to earn more and do more, everything starts to drop down. The standards drop down all over the place. Focus on one thing well, and we'll look at that maybe in a little bit. 
But there are different instances that have to try and work. But I cannot be afraid and be held in fear of lack and that somebody's going to take it all away tomorrow. Whatever you do not master will master you. Now, we're not talking about being frugal. We're not talking about take care of the pennies and the pounds will take care of themselves. We're looking at all the time. I've, I've made an investment. I bought an ISA. What's happened? I put a fiver in an ISA. Why isn't it five pound and one pence? You know, it's all this stuff where we're driven along. We have to become free from that altogether. So I'm going to ask you two very quick questions. And these questions I've asked before. Hopefully, I'm getting a different response from you internally this morning. Why do you want more money when you can't handle what you've already got? You know, having more money when you can't handle it just gets you into more trouble quicker. Do you know that? So ask yourself one question. Why do I want more money? Number two, what would I do with more money? There is a basic, and the basic goes like this. Have a look at your bank statement and you will generally be able to define where your life priorities are. Look at how many times you switched in the two for a tenner. Watch how many times you switched that you were just out for a meal. Watch how many times you switched. Just look at your bank account, and the chances are, when you look at your statement, you'll also find your life priorities. And you wonder why I've not got. Just look at your bank statement. Most of these things are not hard fixes, are they? But I must steward what I have. I have so that I can help the advancement of the kingdom. Do you know how frustrating it is? I'm sure you do. How frustrating it is to be moved in your heart to move towards something, but you have no resource to move towards what you want to move towards. Is that a riddle? I think I've just spoken a riddle. The Lord moves on your heart. Let's all bless Guatemala. I want to bless Guatemala. And you put your hand in your pocket and all you've got is your uh, bus ticket. We've printed on the back. Get your Big Mac and fries for £1.90. Oh, that's all I've got. I cannot bless anybody. Can drop this in. I've got nothing to be able to change. We have and need resource, not just for me. There is nothing wrong with resource for you. Is that all right? Is there anything wrong with having a nice house? Is there anything wrong with having a nice car? Is anything wrong with making sure you pay your bills? Is anything wrong with making sure you pay your debtors? Fine. But as I'm a good steward, I also should have so I can help to meet. Is that all right? That's not so I live continually in poverty. The, the more poverty I have, that must show how righteous I am. It must show how holy I am because I have to live by faith. Just letting you know, the scripture says, the just shall live by faith. So that means all of us, not just Eric. Not got two pennies to rub together, so he must be holy. No, why haven't you got two pennies to rub together? Let's ask a different question. This is just a practical bit. Is that all right? There are things that fall and are common to all of us. Some of these things we've covered before. Where finance is concerned, we earn it, we spend it, we save it, we invest it, we share it, we waste it, and we lose it. I can guarantee that every single one of us in the room can say, I'm at one of those points right now. I've saved, I've saved it, I've lost it, it'd be nice just to have some, you know, whatever category it is. But let me just help you 
with a couple of pieces of wisdom, biblical wisdom if we can. I'll just spend a couple of minutes on this because we can take this deeper another day. I keep saying I'll do this, but I don't. Learn to pay yourself 10%. Learn to pay yourself 10%. If for every pound you have in your pocket, you take 10p and put it in this pocket, it's amazing how quickly things will change. And it's amazing, once you've started taking 10p out of that pocket and putting it in this one, how 10p can become 15p, can become 20p, that now you're not even having the pound because I'm keeping it. If I learn to pay myself 10%, I'll change things. Always remembering that the context in the initial context must always be that I honor God with my tithe and my offerings first. Is that right? Reduce your expenditure. Reduce your expenditure. Simple, this is not rocket science. Shop with a budget. Shop with a shopping list. Don't shop when you're hungry. Because if you shop when you're hungry, you know every chicken leg, every double cream slice, every packet of biscuits looks like the best thing in the world. Now let's ask a different question. How many of you, when you've shopped, haven't, we, haven't even waited to get to the till before you've tapped into what's in your basket already? Come on, be honest, come on. All right, all right Jenny, just you and me. Just you and me. The bread's open, the cake's open, the sausage rolls come out of them, three sausage rolls for a pound, one's already out, you've got all crumbs around your face and it's down your front. Whoa, what have I done? You've just had a little dabble. Now, you don't want to be honest about it, that's fine. Make sure you put your savings to work. At the minute, that's hard to do. Number one, if you have savings, amen, bless you. But finding somewhere to put your savings is ridiculous. I actually, I've not got this, but I got something through a few weeks ago from my bank that said the interest rate had changed so much that if I put £10,000, I think it was, or I had it in my account, that paid me something ridiculous, like £3 a year. Is that about right, Paul? Ten grand will give you three pound. I might as well take a chunk of that and buy some scratch cards and say, I'll, I'll risk it. Don't. Don't. <laughs> but if you find, you've got to find something that is not just stashed money under your bed. Is that right? Guard what you have from lust. For those of us who are old enough, Remember things like Mac Scrooge, Uncle Mac Scrooge? That was Donald Duck's husband, uh, husband, uncle. And he used to have all his money in, he'd sprawl around in his money, and he was always tight with things. You can start to get it, and then you become Gollum, Lord of the Rings. It becomes your precious. Nobody can get near it. This is what I have. You know what the scripture says? If I have made gold my hope, Shame on me. Finance is not your hope. He is your hope. But we must have finance. This is another biggie that's all changing for us. Wherever possible, own your own home. We know that's getting more and more difficult. Money's not as easy to borrow. Situations change. Your deposits are bigger. But wherever, own your own home. Because it's an asset and not a liability. It might not be a 10-bedroom mansion. 
It might be a wonderful two-up, two-down, somewhere with an outside Kazi, whatever it is, but it's still yours. Yes? You might look at it and think, it does not feel like an asset, but I can assure you, it is. Increase your ability to earn. So how do I increase my ability to earn? I look at different skill sets that I have. Maybe I have to, whether I like it or not, go back to night school and do a course in something that will help me earn more money. Thank you for your underwhelming response. If there's anything that I've learned from Pastor Tony over the years, it's this whole ability of being committed to lifelong If I learn and develop, I will always fit the world in which I find myself. I don't become, what's your your statement that you use from Terminator? Old, but not obsolete. I am old, but not obsolete. Probably 15 years ago, my height of working in the recruitment industry, there was something that came through to HR managers across the board. It said this, for the average person, you will have to change your job and vocation three times by the time you're 20, by the time you retire. From 20 to retiring, you will change your vocation. Completely new, different skills. How many barrel makers do we have here amongst us this morning? Any Blacksmiths, how many blacksmiths have we got? You know, there's a day when if you was a barrel smith, everybody needed you. You know the time when if you was a blacksmith, you'd be working all day, every day. Those skills are still needed, but not as much in our mechanized world. So we need new skills. Is that right? Finally, make provision for your old age. Make provision for your old age. Which is not always easy when you think you're never going to get old. Because in my head... I can honestly tell you, I'm about 19. I still, I still think I can do what I could do when I was 19. I'll leave it there. I think I can still do what I could do when I was 19. Yeah, I'm a well-worn 19 now. I've been slept in. But there are different things that as time goes by, and it doesn't just kind of drip, it seems to sprint ahead, you suddenly look and think, I have to make changes. Yes? So that covers very much in a nutshell. We could go lots and lots deeper, do weeks and weeks on these things that we're talking about, but I just want to touch the tip of the iceberg of this whole context, the context of being the earth is the Lord's, everything in it, and you and I have to be good stewards. So we look at practical. Let's look at physical for a moment before you all start breathing in. It says in 1 Corinthians 6, 12 and 20, it says this, Do you not know that your bodies are the temple of the Holy Ghost, who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You have been bought with a great price. So who bought you? What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the... That blood purchased you. You are not your own. And you are the temple... Of the Holy Spirit. Surely increase that. Jesus replied, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching and my Father who will love them and we will come and make our home in them. Father, Son and Holy Ghost all want to inhabit this.
How's that? You're looking at the Trinity this morning. What a wonderful sight. Now, let me scare you with something, because it scared me when I thought about it. You are the greatest asset in all of creation. Shall I say that again? You are the greatest asset in all of creation. The Father is willing to leave the throne room to come and make his abode in you. Jesus Christ gives up his place in the Godhead, humble himself, and was found in the appearance of a man, dies on the cross so that you and I can have fellowship back with God. Heaven gives up its glory for you. Do you know when somebody turns around and says, Paul, you're useless. I just want to remind myself of this. Heaven gives up its glory for me. And the Father wants to make his home in me. You and I were made and formed in the image of our creator. Wouldn't it be great when you get to heaven to find out God looks like me? Well, that'd be... All right. Thank you. I know I know where I stand now. Okay. I am made and formed in his image. I'm made in his image. I'm formed in his image. And then the work of the cross is to have the Christ formed in me continually. So I'm originally born in his image, formed there. And now the work of the cross is to have Christ replicated in me. I want to say me, I mean us. I want to mean us, I mean you. I want to mean you, I mean me. It goes round in a full circle, doesn't it? We are the greatest thing in all of creation. Now, that sounds an arrogant statement, that, doesn't it? But if we see that that's how much he values you, things should start to change. I must steward what he places so much value on. Do you know, I wrote this comment, and originally I thought about it. I thought, why did you write that comment? Because I'm a bit nuts, but hey, I just go slightly wayward at times. But I had this picture of people maybe being at York Minster or somebody else, people queuing up to go and see these citadels, these wonderful buildings that bring the glory to God. And we queue up and we pay our fiver or whatever to go around at medieval build, not that. Yeah, and there's a gargoyle. Yeah, and there's a hole in the floor where they used to bury someone. We do all that stuff, which is nice, isn't it? But this is where the glory is. I can look at the architecture or I can see the house that he's building. Look at what was old or look at the house that he is building. There will come a time when the people will no longer want to go to the ark. There was a time when God's presence was just found in that place. But that presence is now found in you and I. Well, this is the comment that I made. This is the house that he's building. So why do we put so little value on it? If this is the house that he's building where he wants to make his abode, why do I place so little value on it? Now, this is right, so let's get the context. 
We are told and encouraged to build our inner man to build our spirit. Is that right? So we spend all of our time and energy building what's on the inside. But if I don't take care of what's on the outside, the inside has nothing to work through. Is that right? Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 6. He says, everything is permissible, but not everything is acceptable, beneficial, It's not all good for me. I can do what I want, but not everything's good for me. Is that right? The context works there, isn't it? Paul uses this context also. He says, I beat my body daily. Now, you've got to get the right context for that, but the context works like this. Paul says, I will not be mastered by anything. Because if you're anything like me, this wants to dictate, when I get up, it wants to dictate, when it's time for a little afternoon nap. You know, you get to that age when an afternoon nap, it seems to be, I think it's medicinal. I think, I think you can get a prescription for it when you get to a certain age where 10 minutes of heavy eyes and your power nap, because the power nap's all good for you, isn't it? Well done, Dawn, you and me. You have your little power nap when your body says, I'm tired or I'm hungry or I can't go or I don't feel well or I've got a cold. All of these things, our body will dictate to us. But we must learn to dictate to it. So I must bring it into alignment. I see you've all got this sus then, haven't you? I must bring it into alignment. It's time to. Have you noticed how you can be the most alert person in the world until it's time for your quiet time? You're going to start reading... And you're gonna, I'm going to do read, and I'm going to start praying. Then all of a sudden, you've got eyes that feels like 10 ton weight on each one. One eye's going. You get three verses down, and I'll just, I'll meditate. I'll meditate on the word for a little minute. What I'll do, I'll just be still. And now we've all got the scripture. Be still and know that I am God. I'll just, oh, Lord, you're wonderful. You're beautiful. Make a new song. <laughs> been half an hour goes past and I got a flip and it, hey, refreshed in his presence he will strengthen his beloved even in sleep but this whole process of this outer shell is so important do you know that it says in Hebrews 10 and 5 it says therefore when Christ came into the world he said sacrifice and offering you did not desire but a body you have prepared for me. Now, here's where we'll get sticky for a minute. Is all right? Can we get sticky? Are we family? Okay. Part of our job and our role is to help, to encourage, to realign, and at times, pointy stick. Not looking to pointy stick, we're looking to realign. There are hidden dangers lurking every day in me. And there are hidden dangers lurking every day in you. I might choose to ignore it. I might choose to think, I'll just look the other way, I'll wear a blindfold. But things have to change. If I said to Eric, Eric, if you carry on doing what you're doing, I give you two weeks before your nose falls off. (laughs) You do realize in that vanity moment of all of us, 
I might think it's big, I might think it's small, I might always have my finger up it, but I like it. I think my face looks an awful lot better with this thing in that keeps my glasses on. Yes? So if I said your nose will fall off, how many of us do you think we'll, we'll do something because my nose will fall off in two weeks? Is there anybody who will say they will do something? But because of what's happening internally inside of us, we ignore it because we can't see it. Does that make it any worse or any less valuable? You and I have to become smarter, more aligned, more intelligent if I am ever going to be a good steward of a body you have prepared for me. Now, I know what you're thinking. You know what you're like, Phil? You're like one of them people who stop smoking. And then stop smoking, there's nobody more evangelical about smoking than the people who used to be a smoker. So, because you've been looking at this, you're a pain in the backside and you're on your, on your horse, you're on your ivory tower thinking you better get this sorted out. No, because I love you, I'll peck you. And hopefully, in being pecked, you'll start to see something turned around. I was talking to somebody not long ago who made this statement. We're talking about bodies and how things change. And the person said, what are you talking about? Got the body of a god? Said, yeah, Buddha. <laughs> we have to learn how to bring things into alignment. In Philippians 3.19, it says this, their end is their destruction, and their God has become their bellies. What you keep putting in your mouth will determine your output, or lack of it. Is that right? I have to ask this question. The question works like this. If I find myself continually eating and eating the wrong things, I must be able to determine why. Why do I keep eating things that are not good for me apart from it tastes all right? I had this conversation a while ago with Kev. Kev is the ultimate of, I need, let's get organic this, and I've got organic that, and if I bite my fingernails, it's only if it's organic. It's all going to be, that's the way that Kev slides. But ask him what his favorite food is. Turkey Twizzlers. <laughs> turkey Twizzlers made of nothing. If you've ever seen how did they make a turkey Twizzler, you would never eat one. But Phil... They are the food from heaven if you stick it in your mouth. There are times we eat things just because they're good. Yes, we like it. But the context must be this. If I find myself eating more and more, there must be a root of why I'm eating more and more. Boredom, comfort, fear, anxiety, laziness, Whatever it is, I have to get to the root that says every time I sit in front of the telly with a four-pound block of chocolate, two liters of Coke, why do I need to do that and then feel like somebody's punished me if I haven't? Okay, I've got some scary statistics for you in a minute. But my thought process was this. This is the temple of the Holy Ghost, correct? The Father and the Son make their home in here. Most of the time, 
I am the nightmare tenant. This is his, the temple of the Holy Ghost. I'm a nightmare tenant. I don't take care of it. I've spilt stuff on it. I'm not keeping it maintained. It's not the best. When he comes in, he's got a clear up job and all when he comes to deal with you and he comes to deal with me. I'm a nightmare tenant. But you know, the one thing that really started to grab hold of me and turn me around a little bit was one comment that Pastor Tony made. Pastor Tony's made this comment over the last few years. The comment goes like this. Guys, get ready. Have your passports ready because we're going. Is that right? Question number one. Was there anybody who actually went and got a passport who didn't have one with that comment? It's all right. There's only you and me going, mister, by the look of it. So nobody was kind of spurred, or was you spurred to say, I'll get my passport and make sure that things are in order? What is the point of having a passport if you can't pass the medical? What is the point in having a passport if you can't pass the medical? Well, I can't travel for more than four hours on a plane because my knees ache. I can't do this because my back aches. I can't do this because of that. I can't do this, pardon the pun, because I don't actually fit in. It's amazing. You sit on a plane like we'll sit on a plane and the different sizes of characters that sit on there and you're wearing somebody's elbow under your chin for 10 hours. It ain't the most fun thing in the world. And it's just as uncomfortable for them as it is for me. Yes? But we have to look and say, how do we see something's turned around? But I want to read you a wonderful scripture. Wonderful scripture goes like this. It's from... Isaiah 38, 1 to 8. It said, In those days, Hezekiah became ill and was at the point of death. The prophet Isaiah, son of Amos, went to him and said, This is what the Lord says. Put your house in order, because you're going to die. Thank you. I've been waiting for a prophetic word. I was hoping it wasn't that one. Put your house in order. You're going toes up in the morning. You will not recover. Wonderful, Hezekiah's response. And Hezekiah returned his face to the wall and prayed to the Lord. Remember, Lord, I have walked before you. I've been faithful, wholehearted in devotion. I have done what is good in your eyes. And he wept bitterly. Not so, here's a guy, I'm walking before God. I'm being honorable. I'm doing everything that can be. Put your house in order because in order, you're going to die. The word of the Lord came to Isaiah. Go and tell Hezekiah. That what he, uh, this is what the Lord of the, the God of his father says. I have heard your prayer. I have seen your tears. I am going to add 15 years to your life. And Ezekiah said, oh, maybe you want it to go. Maybe he's on the insurance somewhere. Hezekiah's life is turned around because he propositions God. God has already said to him, Put your house in order. You are going to die. You will not recover from this. He cries out to God. He intercedes to God. The situation turns around. Wouldn't it not be fantastic if God could turn around to you and say, Chris, there is for you 15 more years. Is there anybody else who'd say, I wouldn't mind 15 more years? Is there anybody who would say, I wouldn't mind 15 more years? And you can do that without even being in a position of saying, I've petitioned God and cried and banged my head on the wall. Wouldn't it be good just to say you can have 15 more years? Well, you can.
going to ask you one question or make a statement that hopefully your brains will just rattle around for a moment. The question goes like this. When you were out in town, Drollsden, Ashton, your street, wherever you were, how many obese pensioners did you see? How many obese pensioners did you see? You don't. You know why? Because they're already dead. Heart attack, stroke, or the culmination of all those hidden things that we spoke about means that I don't get to live a long and prosperous life. Things change. Well, Phil, you're being pointed now. Yes, I'm being pointed, but I'm not being pointed. I am making one initial statement. If we continue the way we continue, you fall off the end of the conveyor belt an awful lot quicker than you were supposed to. Now, I'm going to round up some figures. So don't come along and say, Phil, I've been on the internet. I've done these searches, and I think you're wrong, you're wrong by 3.7%. I'm rounding some things up. But you get, grab the principle, yeah? If on average, now, have you all been to see the doctor, or you've done that, now here's my BMI? You know what my ideal weight is, don't you? I'm supposed to be nine and a half stone. If I lose both legs, I couldn't be nine and a half stone, okay? But they make this comment. If I am two stone over my ideal weight, I reduce my life expectancy by two and a half to three years. If I carry three stone overweight, my ideal weight, on average, my life expectancy reduces by six years. If I get that wonderful thing where I say, right, I carry on average three and a half to four stone overweight. This research, by the way, is brand new research. It's come out by studying 100,000 people, not looking at a mouse and giving it chips and no chips. This was like looking at a 30-year study. It came out like this. Four stone overweight, which is very easy to do, 15 years off your life expectancy. 15 years. I'll say it again. 15 years. But I must steward me. If I have no value in thinking this is nothing, I can treat this any way I want. I eat what I want. I drink what I want. I put anything I want in it. I abuse it. I don't give it sleep. I give it too much sugar. You know it's going to fall over. But a body he has prepared for me. And we've already said that you are the greatest asset in all of creation. But yet I don't see the value of what this is. I and you must make myself and ourselves accountable. I've got to learn to manage me. I've done lots of things. I've managed multi-million pound accounts. I've managed teams. I've managed the most awkward people you will ever meet in a room. But the hardest person ever to manage is. I must learn, and you must learn, to manage yourselves. John, I had this thought. It's amazing what we worry about. The advert comes on a telly. No water in Afghanistan. RSPCA. Ban the bomb. 
What about the donkey sanctuary? What about the whales? Think about the sea. What about our environment? We think of all those things and get worried about it. Apart from all of that was made for me. And the one thing I should be worrying about, I don't. Come on, be honest. We worry about everything else, and I send me money off, or I put, lick it, they're going to send me a teddy bear back with a snow leopard on. I send it all out to make sure they don't disappear, and all that's all right. It's okay. But I am the asset that God's looking for. I must be responsible for my time, for my assets, for the resources, for the life that has been entrusted to me. What is the point of God's continual investment in you and I when we can do nothing with it? My knee's gone. My back's gone. My money's gone. Wife's gone. I've only got the dog. We'll all, be, all turn into country and Western fans, won't we, if we carry on? We have to look and see how things are. Make ourselves accountable to see something's turned around. Now, I made this comment to Ange, and I made this comment to Pastor Tony just this week. So please hear it in the annoyance that it came in, but I've, I've toned it down a bit now. And that's that. If somebody else uses this term, it's all right for you because you're disciplined, I'm going to punch you in the face. <laughs> because I want the chips as well. And I want this as well. And I want that as well. It's just I decided I'd actually like 15 more years rather than a bag of chips. Yes? And then I thought of this wonderful thing. In Galatians 5, 22, it says this, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. And then I heard this wonderful, wonderful context. Practice self-control. Practice self-control. Do you know that means practice meant I wasn't an expert when I first started? But I keep going. Do you know that every day when you and I have that battle with the Tobo roll in the fridge? You have that. And I tell you, I, I used to really like Tobo rolls, even though it was an assault on myself. Have you ever bitten a Tobo roll and you just rip the roof of your mouth off and you go, it's pain, but it's worth it? If we learn to practice self-control and the fruit of the Spirit, we will grow and enhance ourselves together. But start somewhere. You know this whole thing, we love this context, whether it's finance, weight, whatever. How do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time. Because I'm not going to give details, because that would be unfair, but Angie and I have been looking at our own issues in relation to health at home. And Angie goes, but where do you start? Because I've got X amount to lose. Well, why don't you just start with a little bit? And then when you do that, we'll celebrate that bit. And then when you get, I'm celebrated because I'm happy, then we'll celebrate the next bit, our next bit. If I turn around to you and said, um, right, Andy, you need to save 50 grand by whenever, you're going, 50 grand? I ain't got 50 pence. You won't do it. But if you chip away, it's amazing how things will start to change. Same with the losing the weight scenario, isn't it? But let me help you with one thing. If you sit here this morning and say, God loves me, does God love you? Yes. Were you bought with a great price? Yes. Is he wonderful? Yes. Is he awesome? Yes. Grace and mercy won't keep you alive any longer. I'm reliant on his grace and mercy, shoving down my pie, chips, peas, gravy, vanilla slice, 
It's all going down. If I don't learn to manage me, there will be a consequence. Do you know that? Let me change from being physical for a minute. We'll just get spiritual. We'll move on because I can see you're already fed up. For those of us who dedicated our kids, that did not become an abdication for God's responsibility. I dedicated my kids, so my kid is now your responsibility, God. I brought him to you, you look after him. You know the principle is bigger than that? We negotiate down our values, we've negotiated down what we are, and the belief system that bring up a child in the way who will not depart from it. I actually am not bringing them up in the way, I just set a pretty bad example when I'm at home. I'm hoping that somewhere between kids' church and emerging voices, they're going to grab something that will hold them. We cannot just trust the Lord and hope that everything's going to be all right in the morning. Now, I wrote another context. You might like it, you might not like it, but I'll say it anyway. Dad cabs, mum's cafe, banker mum and dad all have their place, but we are the ones who allowed it to become an abuse. When it's silly o'clock, they're phoning you up because they can't be bothered getting a cab, but you'll get out of bed. Our faults. When you come home and mum goes, right, what's for tea? Egg, chips and beans all around. I'm not having egg, chips and beans. Well, what do you want? Well, I want... And then you start mum's cafe. Can I take your order at the counter? You allowed it. You allowed it. I'm sorry, but I live and were brought up in that terrible thing called the 70s. When it goes like that, you get what you're given. If you don't eat it, we're not, no microwave. No, it's cold, but you don't get it. And if you had a brother and a sister like mine, he was gone if you didn't eat it when it was at the table anyway. Or we had that wonderful technology that goes like this. I put your dinner in the oven with a plate on it, and you took it out. You'd flick your peas around the plate, you'd have somebody's eye out. You know, it's that kind of stuff. We've made it so that a bunch of these things actually become an abuse to us. I am a steward of what God's given me. Children are a delight. I know you don't think so. <laughs> Children are a blessing from the Lord. He smiled on the day that he said that. But they are, they're a delight to us. We are the ones who don't set the management in place that allows ourselves to be abused. And then we turn around and go, I've had to bail out Billy again. But to bail him out again. It's your fault. It's your fault when you keep bailing out. Now, you know, kids are the ultimate at being able to divide and conquer. Have you noticed that? Kids learn very quick manipulation and how to divide and conquer. I love it now because we've got that whole payback thing where we've got Ruby, and Ruby's coming up doing stuff, and Dan's going, you're doing my head in. And Angie's laughing and going, look at you. Hey, look at you. Here's a ref We've had you for 22 years. You've only had her 10 minutes looking like this. But Dan knew what the ultimate was. The ultimate was, mom, 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 mom. Mom, mom, have it! Have it! <laughs> I'm more stubborn that way. 
I'll dig my heels in and go, you can rot. I wouldn't give in, whereas Ange would. But again, we kind of laugh about these things, but we're looking about stewardship. That The stewardship, as we said right at the beginning, our first thought principle was, it's just talking about our gift, it's just talking about our money. But the stewardship is much, much wider. The stewardship has to start and stop with me. And then what has he entrusted to me? So if he's entrusted me and blessed me with kids, it's my role and responsibility not to allow kids' church to raise them, but I raise them. And as I raise them, I don't raise little monsters who become the ultimate manipulators who are just grow with an entitlement mentality that then goes into the bigger world that just goes round and round and round in a big circle. I said nothing for an easy life. Do you know when you make a pact with the devil like that, it's going to come and get you. I'm, I'm assuring you. It's going to come and get you, and it will bite you on the backside. Bring order into place. I've got a few minutes left, so let me bring this to you now. We are called to, in Judges uh, 13 and 8, it starts talking about the father and mother of, of Samson. I won't read the scriptures because time's going by, but it says this, that the man of God comes along and says, your son will be ABC. And they said, get him to bring the word of the Lord back to us again. And then he asked this question. We need to know what will be the rule that governs our boy's life and work. If we allow the system in which we live in to dictate, your kids will be whatever the system says it will be. Because it has a sausage factory that it needs to push out and says, we need everybody for, we'll just say, barrel makers. So everybody's going to be a barrel maker because there's a need for barrel makers. Everybody's going to be this because it's this. And they push you and steer you in a set direction. What you and I don't think about as being stewards of these kids that we're entrusted with is what is the needs of the kingdom in the years to come? What skills are needed so that you and I and our children can actually meet the needs that are ahead? Is it good to say a man's, there's delight in a man's work, isn't there? Yes, I can be there. I'm glad I go to work, whether I'm working in LD, I'm working in a factory, whatever it is, by going to work, it does something good for me. But what about the needs of the kingdom? We should be asking different questions that allow things to change. What about his life and work? The system will always want to dictate this is what you must be. If we need cannon fodder, you're going to be cannon fodder. But what about turning around and saying, yeah, why don't we plan our kids for, you can be a banker, you can move into politics, you can move into these different areas. No one's ever done it in our family, but you're going to be one. And I don't mean living your life through your kids. I've decided that I'm going to be David Beckham, so this is, will be what you are. You can't force your kids into what they're not. But when I'm connected to the Holy Ghost, I'm connected to the Father, and he starts to speak to me, something starts to change where we can see skills, assets, talents, graces built and established in the life of our kids. Is that all right? But I want to change just on this. It's really rocked me, but in a good way. I was looking at the story of Boaz and Ruth. I like the story of Boaz. We saw that he was a man of honor, respect, protection, provision. He became Ruth's kingsman redeemer. He says to the men in the field, don't you dare put your hand upon her. 
there's protection for her. She's under my covering when she's in my field. Even make sure that she's provided for by leaving seed that she could still pick up. She could glean from the man's field. So he says to the servants, make provision for. Do we not like Boaz? Is he not a top guy? Question for you. Who's his mum? Who's his mum? His mum was Rahab the prostitute. A woman who is used and abused, who uses and abuses. That's a two-way street. Yes? But yet, in her connection with the children of Israel, her life, future, and offspring changed completely. Rahab the prostitute brings forth this man. Ruth and Obez have a child, and his name is Obed. Obed has a child, and his name is Jesse. Jesse has a child, and his name is David. The situation turns round when somebody starts to have their situation opened, they're governed from where they're at, and they steward what they have, change their lineage completely. Her lineage is changed because she made a connection. Not only did she make a connection, she took accountability, responsibility, and ownership. Time does not allow us to look at the scripture. It's Joshua 2, verses 1 to 22. I'd read it, but it's quite long. In that situation, the spies come in, sent from Joshua to go and spy out the land. And it says, especially Jericho. Question that, again, because Phil's one of them nutcases. And the spies find themselves in the house of Rahab the prostitute. I kind of go, did you approach her? Did she approach you? Is it buy one, get one free? What? You know, all them kind of nutty things that go through your head. But they find themselves in this house. And then Rahab starts to make a declaration. The declaration works like this. We have heard of what you did to the Egyptians in the Red Sea. We have heard what you did to the kings of Gog and Magog. And she starts to unfold. And our hearts melted away at what your God did. We know it's our time. Forty years had passed waiting for God to turn up. But when God turned up, Rahab said, I will not miss this opportunity. She moves forward and she makes this declaration. A life for a life. Your life for my life. Oh, I want to say my life, my father, my mother, my brother, my sisters, and all that belong to them your God must be faithful and keep his oath. And then they make a declaration back. What you've said to us is fine, but there's always the but. And the but that comes back, you must gather, 
you must bring all of those people, your mother, your father, your brothers, and all that belongs to them into your house. If they are found in your house, their blood will be on our hands and not on yours. But if they choose not to sit in your house, the blood will be on theirs. And also you must make a sign and put the cord outside of the window. And in that, God will keep his oath. So there's an element of responsibility. She then turns around and says, like Mary, let it be unto us as you have said. So now she's a steward. She's been, she's negotiated. She's done the best day's work she's ever done. And she's gone through and she's negotiated for the lives of all of these people. They are found, she puts the scarlet thread in the window. But then she must tell. So she goes. Now here's the thing. Uh, Tony, I'm just letting you know. They're coming, and when they're coming, we're all gone unless you're in my house. Once she has to trust that he's not going to run around and tell everybody else they're coming, even though they know they're coming. But this fact of, if you're in my house, you're safe. The process works a life for a life. The Lord shows his kindness. The Lord will keep his oath. Her obedience changed not only her life, but the lineage that came from that. Her obedience steps into place. There was that position of ownership, responsibility, and accountability. You must go. You must tell. You must gather. You must be a sign in your generation. And then the word came again, stewardship. Fight for your families. God gives you the ability, he trusts you to be a good steward with the word that he brings to you. Yeah. Not only to move to action, but have any of us even said to our kids, our loved ones, our offspring, whatever it is, the ways and strays, I'm praying for you. I'm praying that God's going to touch your heart. Hey, I'm just letting you know, you might not be expecting it, Joel, but God's going to visit you. He's going to touch your heart. Are we sowing in faith? Are we doing anything? Or are we hiding everything back in the invisible work and hope that it's all going to come? She had to speak. She had to gather. She had to draw so that they could, too, come into blessing by association. Jeremiah 31 declared this, and we read it a few weeks ago. There is hope in your future. Your children will return, and your work will be rewarded. Yeah, we might have to work a bit harder in the building in spirit next week, Pastor Tony, just in case. There is hope in your future. Why? Because I will be a faithful steward. I will do what I will do, and he will do what he will do. But I can't just push it all on God's side and say, it's all God's responsibility. Kids didn't come back. That's God's fault. What did I do? Did I pray? Did I hold on to the word? Did I sow it in faith? Did I add to it? Did I grow? Did I talk to them? Did I share? Did I look for that opportunity? Did I beat them with a stick every time they walked through the door? Did I push them away with a cattle prod, cattle prod going, God's chasing you. God's chasing you. What did I do? Where was the wisdom in the counsel that I used? Last week, we used a scripture from Zechariah 9 and verse 12. It says, return to your fortress, you prisoners of hope. There is hope in our future. There is hope for our kids. There is hope for a generation. Rahab should be one of those situations that I look at and say, 
a woman in desperate need, it was at Loeb's, you're not taking her home to see your mum and dad. I met this one in Witherspoons. What a cracker. You know, your mum and dad might be having a different chat. You know that. But yet, when she connected and allowed her life to turn around, just look what happened to her lineage. From her lineage, one child, Boaz, in one generation, you looked at integrity, hope, protection, kingsman, redeemer, position, all changed because of what she stewarded. The responsibility, the accountability she took for not only her life, but those who came off her caused something to be different. Do you know what's nuts is when you carry on that lineage, you go, you read it in Matthew. I've, I've become an anorak in my self-discipline, reading genealogies. That's how I've looked at this. Reading genealogies. Because you just flick through and reading it in Matthew, and you go, Rahab the prostitute, Boab, Obeb, Jesse, David, da, 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 and Christ. Can you just imagine it? Who do you think you are? TV program. Jesus Christ, they've always got somebody bad in the history, haven't they? Somebody was a murderer, got sent to Australia. There's something. It wasn't like, oh, you were just Billy and Yoda Chippy. There's always a backstory. And they go, oh, G Jesus, let's take you back to your prostitute grandma. <laughs> it doesn't matter where you started. It's how you finish. And can you and will you be trusted with what God releases to you? And like I said at the beginning, the greatest asset he trusted you with is you. And if I can be trusted with me, then I can be trusted with more. But if I can't be trusted with me, there is nothing, no growth. Let's just stand to our feet. <clears throat> I hope this morning you've, you've been able to grab the context in the mishmash, as I said, we could do several weeks on all of these things. But if we look and say there is a practical, there is a physical and spiritual outworking when it comes to stewardship, you and I have to look bigger than just saying it's every day with Jesus. Our lives have to change. Amen. Learn to govern yourself. Guide, guard and govern is one of the things that Pastor Tony will say on many occasions. Guard what goes in. Guard what comes out. Guard what I have. Because what is the point of statement here? This is not about dress size. This is about destiny. If I lose because I can't be used, what was the point? Puts all of this stuff in to fall over the line. Our lives change. We take responsibility, accountability, and ownership. Start with me. I'll start with Jerusalem, and I'll work from there. Is that all right? So come on, let's just raise our hands for a moment. <clears throat> Father God, we thank you, Lord, that you were willing to give up your throne in heaven. You are willing to give up the darling of heaven for us, Lord God. Father, I thank you. Your scripture declares that we are not our own. We've been bought with a great price. But Lord God, Father, I pray that we'll not see this morning this, this word of being something that beats us or presses us, but, Lord God, Father, I'll learn to come and partner with you. Lord God, as I partner with you, Father, for you have my best at heart. Lord God, you have destiny in place inside of us, Lord God. 
Father, I pray that as we, you've made our very bodies, Lord God, Father, the temple of the Holy Ghost, Lord God, I pray in Jesus' name that you will cause us to become more accountable for what we do, for how we do it, why we do it. Lord God, Father, you'll move us forward. Lord God, Father, gently whisper to each heart this morning. Father God, I just pray that, Father, maybe where I'm, I'm coarse, I'm heavy-handed, that, Lord, your Holy Ghost will bring that inspiring word into the hearts of each individual. Lord God, you will touch us where we're at. But, Lord, I thank you for the glory of the cross. I thank you, Father, for divine lives, Lord God, that are turned around. That, Lord, the life that you have touched in that Rahab, the prostitute, Lord God, could mean that our lineage would pass on and on and on. Father, there's glory in our futures, Lord God. There is hope in our future. Lord God, our kids will return. But Lord, we take accountability. We take responsibility. We will gather. We will speak. We will stand. We will pray. We will build. Lord God, we will be the stewards of your word. We thank you, Lord God, for your grace that your word has come again. Lord, thank you. Establish it in our lives. Lord God, Father, seal it. And the people of God said... Amen. Amen.